Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Fourth and final episode of our Natalie Holloway series. Are y'all infuriated yet? You're not? Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, stay right there. Okay. And if you're not, get the hell out of here. We're done. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, I'm sure you are. Because you are. who wouldn't be? You, you're only human, after all. So before I jump into it, Rachel, hi. Nice to meet you. Um, quick Patreon shout out to Sarah. Hey, girl. Thank you so much for joining. Remember, we're recording these well in advance. So if you joined in the month of September, don't worry. We'll get there. It's going to be a little delayed shout out, you know? Totally. So as mentioned, this is the final part of our Natalie Holloway series. In the last episode, we ended with the horrific murder of Stephanie Flores, a 21-year-old college student from Lima, Peru, who was killed in 2010 at the hands of that monster piece of shit, Yaron Vandersloot. Yaron was arrested and sentenced to 28 years in prison to be served in Peru. And listen, the prison he is he started out in, Castro Castro Prison, it is on top of the mountain. There is no heat in the winter. There's no AC in the summer. You will die of hypothermia if you don't have a roommate to snuggle up with, is what I've been told. Really? Uh, yeah. And... I don't think he does. So he is, these are miserable conditions. Yeah, they're real bad conditions. They're very much fit for a loser psycho monster. Mm-hmm. That is Euron Vandersloot. Sure. All right. At this point, it's January 2012, and a judge signed an order presented by Dave Holloway, Natalie's dad, to declare Natalie dead legally. Beth really did not want this, but Dave felt like it was inevitable and was hoping it would provide some closure. This, at this point, is six and a half years since she's been missing, and the FBI told them on day 10, if you remember, that they were looking at this as a homicide. So, I mean, he's like, we've really, really stuck it out. From a legal standpoint, this ruling allowed them to settle her estate, which obviously wasn't much given that she was 18 years old, but she did have a small college fund in her name, And she was also still a participant on Dave's health insurance. So like things like that, you know, but still a tough decision all around. Sure. In July, 2014, Euron married a woman he met while she was selling concessions to prison inmates. Mm -hmm. At the time of their wedding, she was seven months pregnant with his child. And in September, 2014, she gave birth to their daughter. So if you were thinking... If you were ever thinking, if he had a daughter, he'd understand. No, he doesn't give a shit about her either. No. Let's get that bitch on here. Well, they're divorced now. Last year, he filed for divorce so he could be with his, quote, younger and prettier girlfriend. He said that? That's a quote? Uh Uh-huh. His Wait a minute. Euron was not a good husband? Stop it. (laughs) I know. His attorney broke the news to her. Obviously, Euron didn't do it. He's a little wimp. Oh my God, he is such a bitch. Honestly, I'm shocked that marriage lasted nine years. Oh nine my years. God. Yeah, that is a. Wow. But he was, you know. I would love to pick her brain. He, well, he had other girlfriends. It's not like he was loyal for nine years, but it lasted for nine years because he was like, what else? Why not? Yeah, she's into this. I would love to chat with her. 
She did chat with, um, she did an interview with, I did not read it. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Cause I don't give a shit. Right. Um, someone at where he, she like was describing him as gentle. The person you mm. see on the TV, blah, blah, blah. I can't, I'm uh, not I can't with these people. Never mind. I don't want to talk to her. Yeah. Bye. Anyway. So while Yaron is starting a family from prison, Natalie's parents are not giving up on finding the truth. In 2016, a man named Gabriel contacted Natalie's dad, Dave, and told him he lived with a guy named John Ludwig, who was friends with Yaron and not only knows where Natalie is, but helped Yaron move her body in 2010. Yep. Gabriel seems very sincere. He has two da- daughters of his own, and John Ludwig is a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So this checks out. To give you a little idea of what he's like, after Stephanie Flores was murdered, he went on Nancy Grace to stick up for Yaron, and she kicks him off her show. Here's the clip. I love this clip. If you're listening on the pod, you got to YouTube this, too, because her face, she's flabbergasted about the whole thing. Yeah, she's pissed. If she got the email uh, and figured out he was involved in Natalie's stuff, she should have just immediately left the room and not confronted him. What? How did that provoke him? And she said, whoa, are you the one that uh, people believe killed Natalie? How did that provoke him into murder? Uh, it enraged him, obviously. So uh, she, she shouldn't have done that. I don't She shouldn't that. have done that. Okay, John Ludwig, no offense, but do, do, you, do you realize how crazy you sound right now? That she basically deserved the murder because she said, whoa, you're the guy they suspect that murdered Natalie Holloway? That she shouldn't have said anything, that it's her fault she didn't leave the hotel room? Do you realize how crazy you sound? Not saying she deserved it, but uh, she uh, she definitely could have prevented it by just leaving immediately. Sir, you know what? Cut his mic. John Ludwig, I reserve this for very, very few people, but you, sir, are a fool. And what you have said sets victims' rights back maybe a couple of hundred years. Take him off the screen. I don't want to look at him anymore. <laughs> Get the fuck off my show. Get it. And here's what, it not saying I mean, she deserved it. Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. That is exactly what you're saying. She provoked him. Um, and the fact that he definitely did not, he, he pitched himself to be on that show. Let's be honest. I don't mm-hmm. think Nancy Grace reached out to him. So obviously not saying what his position was. He came on like, I want to talk about this. I know him really well, probably from a place of like, this is devastating. Here's what I know. And mm-hmm. he just got on and was like, he's a stand up guy. Like, you're such a piece of shit. Everyone. I can't. Y'all this, this part of the episode where it is going to turn into a sting operation against John Ludwig, but that aired on oxygen and we'll get into all that, but it does show him watching this Nancy Grace footage and it is repulsive. He is awful. He said he does say he blames Stephanie. He shouldn't have done that to Euron and that he should piss on her grave for what she did to Euron. It's like get there. I know, but I just have to go ahead and say that because watching him watch that Nancy Grace calling Nancy Grace a bitch and whatever, what have you, whatever. That's one thing. What he says about Stephanie while watching it, it's just, he is a wretched human being. Yeah, despicable. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's just to give you an idea. John is actually from the States, I think Florida, but his aunt lives in Aruba, so he goes down there a lot. He met Yaron after Natalie went missing and thought it was cool that he was a suspect in a missing persons case, which tells you everything you need to know. 
So he befriended him. They did a bunch of drugs together, partied, just a solid foundation for every friendship. And here's what Gabriel was told by John. This is what happened. The Calpos dropped Natalie and Yaron off at the road by the Marriott, and they went to a bar, got one more drink, and he put something in her drink, some sort of date rape. It's assumed GHB. They walked down to the beach and started hooking up, and then she started shaking and foaming at the mouth, and then all of a sudden stopped. He called his dad to come, and he determined that she was dead, so he went. Paulus went back to their house to get a burlap sack, but he said it was too small for her to fit in it, so they dismembered her. It's horrific. Yeah. The details are horrific. Yeah. Then they buried her body in the national park and put a cactus on top of the burial site. There's a ton of cacti in this park. Mm-hmm. And it's Just like a, hundreds and hundreds of acres of it. Thousands. So. It actually yeah, takes thousands. up 20% of the island. Oh, wow. Thousands. Now, the part about Natalie and Yaron being dropped off at the road next to the Marriott really struck Dave. He said this was the very first story that one of the Calpos gave, and no one knew that because the story immediately changed. So it never hit the news. No one really knew about it. So Dave knew if, if John knew about this, he only knew because Yaron told him. No one else would have known yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So this seems pretty credible. In 2010, after Paulus died, a tourist found a jawbone on the beach. Uh, we mentioned this during the Amy Bradley portion. And then some scuba divers thought they saw a skeleton and a crab tra- trap in the ocean. None of these panned out, but there are all these possible findings of her. And Yaron got nervous that they were going to start the search parties again. So he offered John $1,500 to help him move the body. They dug her up, and he said she was decayed but still had hair. Ugh, it's just... Yeah, that's so sad. Yaron had some connection at the morgue, of course. Right. So they took her there and had her cremated and then spread her ashes in the ocean. This is what John told Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Dave's private investigator, TJ Ward, checked John's passport, and he was, in fact, in Aruba during the time he said all of this happened. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, this might be viable. And for the next 18 months, Dave and TJ worked with Gabriel on a setup, another sting op, mm-hmm. in which they get John on the record saying all this. They filmed the entire thing for an oxygen TV show called The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway, if you remember it. Right. It's still on, actually. If you yeah, you can watch it. it. It's on Peacock. It's on something else. I can't remember. Yeah. The sting operation is set in New Orleans because Louisiana is a one-party state, meaning only one person has to have knowledge of a hidden camera or recording. Gabriel is obviously the consenting person, so they can legally tape John and then use it against him. Yep. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Gabriel convinces John that he won a trip, an all-expenses-paid trip to New Orleans, and invites him to come with them. John's like, free trip to party? Sure, right. I'm there. A very easy sell, I'm sure. Oh, my God, for real. So they check into their fully wired hotel room, equipped with hidden cameras, you know, all audio recording, all of it. And the uh, ex-FBI authorities, everyone is in the hotel room next door watching and listening to everything that is being said. Yeah. Dave is not. His only request actually was to not see John Ludwig for what he was scared to do to him if he did. So, oh, I know. He's an angel. That's his man. only request. He's like, don't let me anywhere near that guy. Oh my God. He is an angel of a man. If they get John to give up where the burial site is and how much he got paid to help, they have everything they need. So they're in the hotel room. He's talking about Natalie and said some disgusting things about what her decaying, bo- her decayed body looked like, smelled like, 
while her poor sweet father's just listening in from a hotel cross town mm-hmm. again not at their hotel right it's heartbreaking gabriel asks john if he feels bad for natalie's parents and john says quote it wasn't my daughter so i don't give a shit this is when dave gets up and walks out of the room it is a heartbreaking documentary i gotta say i couldn't finish it back then i didn't because you finish it first and you said, do not watch the last episode. And I was like, I can't. It's just too much. It's too much. He also says, again, that he wants to piss on Stephanie Flores's grave for provoking Iran to the point of no return. Yep. I, I, he's just whatever. I, I can't add a sidebar every time I mention what he does. This piece of shit. That I'm just... going to. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am. Then he tells Gabriel the story where she's buried everything. They leave New Orleans. The free vacay is over, and they go to Aruba. In Aruba, John showed Gabriel the general site of where she's buried. So Dave, TJ, and a team of people, including ex-FBI agents, went down there and tried to pinpoint exactly where it is. So they looked for bone fragments, DNA that the sand could still be holding, maybe a piece of burlap sack, anything. The National Park is like a desert, and again, thousands of acres. But they bring in dogs, It's been seven years since they would have moved her, so it's still really hard. John said when they moved her, they put her in his aunt's Mitsubishi, which which the aunt still owns, and they found at her house. But they want to play by the rules, so they notify Reuben authorities before doing anything. So compliant. I would be like, fuck that. I know, but, I mean, we've seen what happens when you don't. Oh, I know. Dolphy Richardson, I guess, I think it's Dolphy, is the new chief of police, and Dave and TJ have a three-hour meeting with them where they hand over everything they've got gathered over the past 18 months. Unlike the previous police chiefs, he immediately gets an order to compensate the car from the aunt's house, and the same day calls Dave and TJ and says they're ready to dig up the entire area, which is, that's shocking. That's crazy. I know. He wants to solve it, and they have the special equipment. They're ready to go. The whole team's really optimistic, except for Dave. You can tell he's not letting himself get too excited. This is probably the 45th possible viable lead they have. I mean, so he's keeping his emotions in check, and it's really sad. They all meet at the supposed burial spot, and Dave's just wandering around alone. They're all crying watching him. It's been 12 years, and he's just looking for his daughter's grave. All they need is any shred of evidence so they can make an arrest before John and Gabriel go back to Florida. Unfortunately, that does not happen, and they fly back to Florida, but Gabriel and John get in a huge fight about God knows what, and Gabriel says he's going to the cops with everything John told him about Natalie. Surprisingly, John agrees to go to them first so he can get a lesser sentence. It is so shocking. Very ballsy of Gabriel because John is a psychopath, and... No one could believe that he didn't kill him right then and there. I mean, honestly. So John has a sit down with TJ Ward, the private investigator, which is videotaped and you can watch it on the Oxygen show. And he says Euron first brought it up to them when they were watching the Lifetime movie about Natalie. There was a Lifetime movie that came out. They they watched it together. John and Euron watched it together. And Euron was talking about what bullshit some of the stuff was and that's when he told him what happened. And the fact that they like sat and watched it together. I know we've said it, but like Yaron loves this attention. I mean, loves it. It's so gross. But when John's talking to TJ about them moving the body, it's a little different from what he told Gabriel. He said before they took her to get cremated, they took her to another location to start burning the body in some caves near his aunt's house. And he said Yaron further dismembered her. 
and I can't express Dave's face when he's listening to this, but he's physically sick and he gets up. It's burnt in my memory. I could... He also has a very different tone with TJ than he did with Gabriel. He is not as loyal to Iran and even agrees to go back to Aruba to show Aruban authorities, TJ and the FBI where the body is. They have cadaver dogs, equipment, everything. So if he's full of shit, they're going to know real quick. The dog handler and an ex-FBI agent go to John's one location while Aruban authorities and TJ go to the other. And John's flubbering while he's on site. Nothing's making sense anymore. He gives a few versions of the story. They can't gather one shred of physical evidence. And everyone's just coming to the conclusion that he is, this is all bullshit. Mm-hmm. They go back home with nothing and cut ties with Gabriel and John, but they don't think Gabriel's full of shit. Right. I'm going to note that right now. They think he was doing the right thing. He was duped too. He had no right. idea. Yeah. Once they get back to the States, John says he can prove he helped move her body because he kept a few bone fragments as a trophy and he put them in a Ziploc bag and buried them in his aunt's backyard. Which begs the question, I'm like, you've killed before, surely. What do you mean you're keeping a trophy? You are sick. Uh, yeah. Um, you, what's your history? Dude? Well, he friended a guy merely because he was a suspect in a murder case. Like, he just loves this. Yeah. And his fate, you know, tells oh, it. Oh, my God, it's beautiful. At this point, he has changed the story yet again and says that she was actually buried in a pet cemetery on the beach. Not knowing if he's still full of shit, Gabriel doesn't even bother to tell Dave or TJ about this. He instead flies back to Aruba with John, and they're filming all of this off of Gabriel's cell phone. Dave, TJ, and the whole team, they have no idea that they're doing this, but I guess later someone sold the footage to Oxygen because it is in the show. Mm -hmm. They go to his aunt's house first and successfully dig up a a Ziploc bag of bones. There's four bone fragments in there. Gabriel calls Dave. Dave calls the chief of police to get them and have them tested. And typically that takes several weeks, but the results come back sooner than they expect. And they determine two of the bones are from an animal and two have been tested, haven't been tested, but don't quote, appear to be human. Mm-hmm. They just don't look like human bones. They're just They look like the other two. So we're just going to assume that's animal too. And yeah. It's like, nah. Also, what? You're burying animal bones? And you're, it's so... Right. It's all weird. Dave's like, I don't care what they appear to be. We need to test and confirm. Right. So he and TJ meet with authorities again, but first stop at this pet cemetery, which is a creepy site, by the way. And they're walking along all the crosses made out of sticks and they get near the end of a cliff and there's a huge hole that has been dug up. Very sketch, very weird. No one's digging a hole for their pet and then not burying said pet. Immediately. Right. Immediately. They found another pet cemetery on the island? Right. Like, who's going to dig a hole and then go get their dog? No, your dog's there. You're not. I don't know. I don't know. I could see it, maybe. But I don't know. Yeah. An available plot opened up at a more desirable pet cemetery in Aruba? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. That sounds logical. Yeah, that's probably it. They go meet with police chief Richardson who sticks by what they all thought like John Ludwig's a monster he's playing on your emotions he's full of shit Mm -hmm. and Dave asked for the bone fragments so he can have them tested and Richardson's like sure here you go they also show him a picture of the dug up grave in the pet cemetery and they immediately are like it's probably drugs they were buried there and then someone came and got them apparently drug lords do that there he assures them that solving Natalie's case is a priority they will not give up Dave goes to a forensic expert in Washington, D.C. to test the bones, 
and the initial testing of nuclear DNA, which is DNA that makes us us, showed no sign or no human DNA. Therefore, in fact, some animal or something. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Sorry, let's just say it because science. Oh, okay. Yeah, you are gonna have a little science lesson. Okay, so that means if they weren't human DNA, they were non-human DNA. <laughs> Because Rebecca thought that y'all needed that clarification. I didn't think that, but Rebecca did. She stopped me to now, do that. Now that I told her to clarify, and now that you have, you just are insulting people. Yeah. They ever thought it was dinosaur DNA. Okay. But they tested the mitochondrial DNA, which is passed from mother to daughter, and you can pass it to your son, but sons don't pass it along beyond right. that point. Yeah. So there's a little Daughters science. Do. They just Daughters keep can keep passing it. Sons cannot. Yeah. So there's a little science lesson for you. They took the DNA extract, ran it through a very specific screening process, and one came back human. There is mitochondria DNA on one of the bones. Not only that, but they can tell that the ancestry makeup is Eastern European Caucasian. Mm-hmm. To positively identify them, they need to do additional testing and get a sample from Beth. Five weeks later, so they do. Five weeks later, results come in and there's no match to Beth's mitochondria DNA. But whose is it? it just again, why I'm like, what? did John have it? Like, yeah. what is it? What it's, did he do? Why did John have it? Is it Robin Gardner, that DC woman who went missing in Aruba, who's right. also Caucasian? I just, it's so shocking. Is it Amy Bradley? Is it Amy Bradley? We don't know. It's just so interesting that they're like, oh, it's not Natalie. Like, oh, well. I'm like, let's throw that in, um, in you know. Let's get everyone's Geo match, whatever it is. Yeah. So not Natalie. Yet yeah. again. Because Aruba gave the bones to Dave, the chain of custody, which is designed to ensure that physical items are preserved in the state in which they are found, this was broken. So it prevents anyone from legally pursuing John. So shocking, though. Like John tells this story that ends up being bullshit, but they are Caucasian bones in his backyard or his aunt's backyard. I just, it baffles me. Yeah. And if this wasn't a world renowned expert, DNA expert, I'd be like, no. If this were Chief Vance, Vanderstraten, I'd be like, that was Natalie. You're just that, exactly. Lying. I was about to say, and this wasn't, this test wasn't done and these res- results weren't delivered by Euron's uncle. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, oh, I would have been like, bullshit, that was Natalie. Yeah, yeah, so. Shocking. Now the best part. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. The best one part. Of the, one of the best parts outside of Paulus dropping dead. Yeah, and um, you're on being in the worst prison yeah. ever. <laughs> in March 2018 in Tampa, Florida, John Ludwig ambushed his girl, ex-girlfriend with a knife as she was getting out of her car, and he tried to kidnap her. She fought back, got the knife, and stabbed him to death. Done. I mean, it, and amazing. I was like trying to get more detail, getting more details on this, like Googling John Ludwig. You can't get past an article that's not like, holy shit, this psycho was killed by his ex girlfriend in self defense. Right. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think when she was starting to win the fight, he stumbled away. He ran away and they found him suffering in a bush. So it was pretty slow. It was a slow death, I gotta say. Oh my God. Karma's an ex girlfriend getting out of a car who gets shit done. Right. Mm, go, girl. <laughs> I know. In February 2021, Euron was caught dealing cocaine in prison. Sure. 
How do you get cocaine? Well, well, I'll tell you. Oh, okay. He was smuggling it in through that younger, prettier girlfriend that he ditched his wife and kid for. Oh. So this added 18 years to his sentence, but in Peru, unless you're serving a life, life sentence, you can't be in prison for more than 35 years. So he'll, he'll get out in 2045. So technically it only added seven years to a sentence because he had 28 years. Mm -hmm. You either get 35 or you get life. There's yeah. no in between. No. What is the logic behind that? I don't know. That is so weird. Maybe they're limited. Maybe they think you're rehabilitated by them. I don't oh, know. Jesus. 35 is just cruel enough. Unless it's not cruel enough, then you get life. I don't understand. Okay. I know. By that logic, he'd only be, what? When was it? What? How old was he? 21? Yeah. He's only going to be in his 50s. I know. He has a whole life ahead of him. Gross. The fuck he does. Yeah, right. Not anymore. Because... In May 2023, Peru announced that they agreed to temporarily extradite Yaron to Birmingham, Alabama to answer for his extortion and wire fraud charges. Hey, uh, he, he was always going to be extradited because we do have an extradition treaty with Peru. Mm -hmm. But it was going to be after he was done serving a sentence in Peru. Which I was not confident he would be alive for. I thought, oh, this asshole is going to get beaten in prison and killed. I know. By the time he's released for Stephanie's. So this is music to my ears. Oh, I know. But I guess we put in a request for it to happen now. And they're like, sure, the president approved it. You're right. Per the extradition treaty, he'll return to Peru to complete his sentence once our legal proceedings are done, including appeals. So on June 8th, 2023, he landed in Birmingham. And on June 9th, during his court appearance, he pleaded not guilty. They'll set a trial date after October 2nd of this year. Back in June, though, most legal experts estimated the trial would start in about a year or so, which would be the summer of 2024. And honestly, I think he realized that if he pled not guilty, he'd have to wait here for trial. Right. And he wanted a vacation from that scary-ass prison in Peru, uh -huh. it's, especially if it includes appeals. He could appeal over and over if he's found guilty. Uh -oh. That could take years. He could be here for years. So for now, he's rotting in the Shelby County Jail in Birmingham, Alabama. And unfortunately, as I'm sure you know, Natalie has never been found. They've never had what, or they don't know if they have the true story. I mean, we have no idea what happened that night. Right. And they've never gotten to have a funeral. We will and have, after that extradition trial, we probably will have a follow-up episode on it and I won't reveal who, but we will probably have a, a, an exciting guest. A very wonderful guest to speak on it. But that is the full story of Natalie Holloway. And I know at the beginning we talked about there were some questions submitted. I did want to talk about at this point theories because my opinion has changed several times over the years since 2005, really. After looking at it in an adult lens and rereading about this after living it as a teenager, I like, I, well, actually, no, I don't have a good hard theory. I am torn. The John Ludwig thing, the cremation thing, if they've truly never found any evidence, I'm like, that must have happened. Right. A cremation and then ashes in the ocean, you would never find evidence. I'm not convinced that they've never found evidence of her, though. Right. I think the very it beginning. was a group effort amongst the Vandersloot's authorities. Mm -hmm. Some and, authorities. 
some authorities and there was a cover up and everyone helped each other out and they don't want the case solved. Therefore, it wasn't going to be solved. What they did to her body, I, I that I don't know. That I don't have a theory about. I do think the one thing that has been consistent in his 250 stories is that she kept falling asleep, waking up, falling asleep, waking up, shaking. So I think he slipped or something. She did OD. And mm-hmm. that's probably when he got frightened and called his asshole of a father, Paulus Vandersloot. Right. Especially now that we know, too, that's very viable, too. But now that we know how quickly his switch can flip and he rages and can kill Stephanie Flores like that, maybe the same thing happened. Maybe he was lit. Mm -hmm. She said something that was no big deal and he lost his mind like a psycho. Right. So maybe that. Yeah, actually, it could be. I don't even know if he slept or something. We don't know. I do know that Beth and her family and everyone involved acted very quickly. We're in Aruba within hours of this happening. The chaperone who stayed back, well done. Had the authorities acted with such quickness, I think we would have. this would have been solved immediately. Oh, yeah. If they could have done a, a look at Yaron the day that Beth got there, take your shirt off. Let me see you. Yeah. Let's see if you have any claw marks. See if let's dig up your yard real quick. Done all that. We obviously would know by now. Let's we confiscate Deepak's car. Oh my God. Easily. The impact this had on so many people who one of Natalie's best friends became consumed with fear that something would happen to her. She had night terrors about death. Her body was just full of grief and anxiety that she turned to drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. She has now been sober for several years, but just the magnitude that this had on people who knew her very well and people who didn't. I mean, this was a mindfuck of a case. I saw this when I reached out to one of her really good friends and I was like, now that I'm looking back, like the thought of especially that group of friends already about to go through a huge life transition. They're all about to leave home for the first time, go to college they're 17 and 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm like, y'all were babies and y'all had to grow up fast. And I said this to her. I was like, I feel like back then I did not realize how obviously I knew how devastating it was, but what a big deal that would have been. It's like you were literally a kid going on a long weekend vacation. This was only like a four day trip. Right. And coming back to a summer before your freshman year, so fun. And y'all had to come back and be adults because right. talking to the FBI, talk to the FBI countless times. Go on live TV with Nancy Grace alone. I would require media training. Oh y'all my just God. Had to jump into action. Good for y'all. My I mean, God. How devastating. And then. And to take the public scrutiny. Like y'all are kids too. And y'all are being shamed for not physically pulling Natalie out of the car. Oh <sighs> my God. There would be blogs with Facebook was relatively new and every picture had to come down. And I remember yeah. blogs of like Natalie Holloway's friends partying. And it was like a group of girls smiling, holding red solo cups. Like it, I was like, y'all, this is insane. That, it is. And over the course of pretty much a weekend, this is how drastically their lives changed. It's really sad. And then I was writing her an email and I like started crying because I'm thinking this is only 15 years from now from when my daughter's going to be 17. Oh, yeah. Almost 18. 15 years, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. They were babies. And to then go only a mere couple months later, start new lives in these brand new towns where 
every single Tuscaloosa, most of them went to Alabama. Tuscaloosa is 45 minutes door to door from Birmingham. Everyone knew about this. Can you imagine going through Rush, going through everything, and you're like, oh, that's Natalie Hallway's best friend. Oh my God, was she on the trip? Right. Just staring at her. It's and like Dylan on the Idaho murders. I can't imagine. It's like the roommates. Yeah. They're just I, being exploited and pictures coming up on the internet of every little thing they did in high school that you're like, what the hell? So good for y'all. Wow. Really got through it and are now killing it. They yeah. have families of their own. It's really sad. Yeah. They have kids of their own and now they're probably looking at it more of a, in the perspective of Beth than their peer. Right. They're all moms now. Yeah. Listener questions. Um, so some of these were, we did answer within the first five minutes of episode one. What's your favorite memory of Natalie? Mine was the payback to Brandon. <laughs> I'm still flabbergasted by that. I had no idea she was involved. I do remember, I actually didn't really Talk about remember a that. sting operation. Yeah. For real. I wish y'all followed through on that. I know. He heard about it. We couldn't uh, just go back and listen to the first five minutes of episode one. Me, Natalie's friend, and another girl that we were being three-timed by a senior. We um, had a plan to bust them, and it was Natalie's plan. That's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, my God. Not even a love triangle. A love square. Mm-hmm. Mine, my guess, was when she first moved here, we had gym together, and she, she was just so, like cute and outgoing for a new girl especially in eighth grade I'm like what you're what 13 the mm -hmm. most awkward time she was not mm -hmm. and a boy asked her out and she was like what the hell you only live once it was yeah. cute she's just bubbly it was cute yeah uh did your school continue to have senior trips nope we did a lot of separate trips first of all the school never sponsored Aruba that wasn't a school trip it was no a group of 124 kids all playing the same vacation essentially yeah, the exactly. school didn't provide chaperones. They didn't provide any organization of that. Um, we, our class was again a year below Natalie. We just did several different trips. Um, Ten of our friends went to uh, St. Thomas. We stayed specifically because it was U.S. US controlled, yeah. U.S. territory, and we had Beth's best girlfriend chaperone us. Another small group went to the Bahamas. Another small group went to British Virgin Islands. Another small group went to like 30A in Florida. So right. it was just, everyone kind of did their own thing. There was no huge trip ever again. No. Still isn't, to, to my day. knowledge. Yeah, to my yeah. knowledge, still this day. Did you meet Euron? Nope. Not yet. Uh, not yet. We will at trial if they let people in. Yeah. No, we won't meet them, but we'll see them. Uh, yeah, again, we weren't on this trip, but it seems like everyone who was met him. He hung, he was around several nights in a row and like there was talk of he's so cute. Um, the guys gambled with him. Like he was around, everyone knew him. He was like an extension of, of this grade. It sounds like for that weekend. So yeah, everyone met him. It sounds like. Did you know immediately it was bad when nobody had seen her the next morning? If not, when did you know? Um, I held out hope. Again, I answer this in the, within the episodes, but if you just want quick fire answers, I held out hope uh, until the Amsterdam sting operation with Patrick. Uh, beyond that, I knew, I mean, secretly, I think I knew she was never going to come home. Amy Bradley, who also went missing uh, in 1998, I full, I wholeheartedly think she's alive. Or was or for was a long time. for a, yeah for a long time I think for sure 
So that restored a little bit of hope, but ultimately, uh, I think on some level, uh, held out hope for a couple of years, but I knew she wasn't coming home. Uh, yeah, I didn't know when we very first found out, I did not think it was bad. I thought it just like all our friends down she there, missed a flight. Yeah. she missed a flight and I was like, yikes. And that's so embarrassing. I remember being like, she, that's so embarrassing that the entire town knows about it. Like you're irresponsible and now everyone knows and you know, right. Um, but I think when all of our friends were like, our parents are freaking out about it and it started getting hours and like the next day she yeah. still wasn't home. I knew it was bad. I didn't know. I, I thought she could still be alive and she might come home, but I knew something bad must have happened. I held out hope about her coming home. I don't know. Like I mentioned, the during the wall of hope, I remember everyone talking about how we're going to put this big wall and we're going to post a picture of it. It's huge. And, and signed, you can barely see white space on it anymore. It's very sweet. Yeah. People were talking about going in her dorm room. And I remember thinking, I want to be hopeful, but I don't want to be naive. And I just did not. I was like, I have a feeling that she's not going to put this in her dorm room. Like this, right. something is really wrong because stories keep changing. No one's getting in trouble. I, I don't know. Yeah. Amy Bradley restored it a little bit. And then, yeah, the sting operation in Amsterdam. That's when I was like, that's what happened. At least right. we know. Right. Yeah. We got a lot of what was she like, which I know we answered to, but she, I'm telling you, was good girl on the dance team. Very I know smart. It's, right. It's not, it's going to be the dateline answer, that, but, but it's, it's honestly, the truth. It's the truth. Dare I say goody, goody. She was. She sure. let her guard down once to the, a raw, the wrong person. Yeah. Was sadly murdered as a result. Yeah. Goody, goody, comparatively. Like, yeah, she... She hung out. She went, yeah, she, she went, went out. High school parties. Yeah, she was at high school parties, you know, drinking a little. I would never say I necessarily saw her drunk, but like, yeah, you know. I don't remember any time seeing her drunk or anything. There were much worse in high school who did much crazier things. There, comparatively, yeah, you're right. There were people who did a lot, who were a lot, I guess, more wild or crazier. Um, you are listening to two of them. Mm hmm. Your ho your co-hosts, Rebecca and Rachel, possibly, but she never had a huge party where the cops came the weekend before spring break and then made and then had to call her parents in front of the entire party. Mm -hmm. She never took her parents' car out to go pick up her friends, just on going a joy ride and pass her parents while they're on a walk. Right. She never <laughs> forgot about that. You know. What else? What other dumbass shit did we do? Things know. like that. Just antics. Nothing too crazy. I bet she didn't pitch a fit at the DMV when she didn't get her license either. So, <laughs> so yeah, she's like well-rounded, mature, full-ride Alabama is going to be a doctor. So that tells you everything you need to know, really. Did you ever find closure? The extradition to the U.S., and I think this trial will help, although it's only a little sliver of justice. Mm -hmm. I, I'm still waiting on the big justice, but it's going to help. He's in prison yeah. for the rest of his life, essentially, because right. who knows what he's going to get here. So that helps. But, you know, we need it would be nice to for her family to be able to have a funeral. Right. And to slap on a murder charge mm -hmm. on top of the extradition. What was it like in school after her disappearance? How did it change things? Uh, news vans parked outside all day, every day. It was horrible. It was sad. It was sad. 
couldn't go anywhere really without saying I'm from Birmingham and then saying, oh, did you know Natalie Holloway? That that kind of stuff changed. Um, oh, my God. But in terms of school policy, school itself, I don't think anything really, like, rule-wise, nothing. Nothing. But just environment-wise, it was just crazy. Yeah. Popped our little bubble, our little sheltered bubble, that's for sure. Um, whenever anyone got in a tragic accident, passed away or got in a tragic accident or something, there, our school counselors were always notified to be available for grief and all that. I'm sure that was offered. I'm sure that was reiterated time and time again. I just really don't remember. Yeah, well, I think that's part of what the assembly was the very first day of our senior year. It was like, hey, welcome to school. Here are a few, you know, new classroom changes, blah, blah. And now we're going to talk about Natalie Holloway. And everyone's like, oh, God. I think that was a big message of that. If I recall, I couldn't really remember, but I think that was like, we are available. I know everyone's scared. And now everyone has anxiety and now everyone's, I don't know, yeah. just shocked. I think that's all the questions we got. Again, we will do a follow-up on the extradition trial after the extradition trial. Oh, Rach has our question. Well, I just wanted to add, on a more positive outlook, how things change was the amount of support and camaraderie that everyone, mm-hmm. everyone had around that family it was nice. Yeah. It's made me... Make sure nose tingle. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for listening. This was a very important episode, very important series, mini series for us. And thanks. Yeah. Y'all. You are the thanks best. Y'all. You're on Vandersloot's the worst. A lot of people are the worst. John Ludwig's the worst. Oh, Who yeah. Else? yeah. Everyone. Paulus is the worst. Paulus. It's the worst. So may, may they all rot in hell. Have a good one. Rot, rot in jail, then rot in hell. Bye. <laughs>